And uh, okay. we're back. Okay. So we spent um, a lot of time discussing the why. It was really interesting to find out a lot about your personal perspective on why we should provide universal basic income and some of the implications around basically morality more widely and what our imperatives are to other people, to each other, to ourselves. Now let's get into the how. We spoke a little bit about your disdain for universal basic services. You congratulated Mr. Miliband on uh, being on the right side of it. That's part of the questions we'll have. Jake, do you want to just yeah. give us an idea of what we'll be talking about and then we'll get straight into it? Absolutely. Let's just refresh for everyone. We're back talking about basic income, myself and Anthony, you just heard. Still joined by Professor Guy Standing, who's our guest today, yeah, expert actually, in the field. Currently Guy Sitting. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I knew you were going to make the joke. So I'm, I'm sure you get that God, every time. I've heard that before. I'm sorry for that, Guy. I just, it, was a, it, <laughs> it had to happen at some point. Much like basic income is hopefully an inevitability, so was, so was that joke. <laughs> uh, I hope I never hear it again. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, thank you again for joining us. And yeah, structure of this episode. So like I said, we, we talked about the why last time. Got really deep on the ethical justifications, which was very interesting. And I think now we wanted to zoom in a level and talk about the how. The way I was envisaging this episode going, and hopefully we'll roughly stick to it, is first up, we'll let you paint a picture of how in practice this would work. And, and we want to get into the economics of how the tax system would work, who would qualify, those kind of practical mm. questions. Once we've done that, we've got a long list of challenges, common challenges levied against basic income, again, from a sort of practical perspective, which we'll go into those two. And in between, actually, I missed this, but I'd love to get more evidence into this episode. So we talked about different trials that are going on. So it'd be great to bring up some of that in the process. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, let's start with the very first question. Basic income, how should this look in practice? Well, it's interesting that everybody's imagined that it's going to be hugely costly and they do back of the envelope estimates. They put down population is 60 million, <laughs> um, level of 100 pounds, add it all up, percent of GDP. Oh, terrible. Mm. have to be paid by increased taxes, etc. Mm -hmm. It won't work like that. Mm. It will work, friend, now dead, famous economist, Tony Atkins, mm -hmm. said it will come in through the back door. I believe that it will be something that spreads and built up by consolidation of other existing schemes mm. that are turned into components mm. of a basic income. For example, we have a system of personal income tax allowance in this country. We do, yeah. Which is very regressive. In other words, it benefits wealthy people more than it does low-income people. So why, why do you say that, sorry? Because people who are earning very little income mm -hmm. uh, don't even get to the threshold. Right. So they don't save. Whereas Somebody with a high income, not only do they get their personal income tax uh, allowance, but it lowers the percentage of their income that's, high, oh. that's taxed at the higher rate. And it is regressive. Now, if you converted that, mm -hmm. just did that to a basic income, you're already a long way to paying for it. Mm. Similarly, I did a calculation in a book called The Corruption of Capitalism. Mm -hmm. In this country at the moment, there are, to my estimate, and I mm -hmm. may not be quite correct, 1,190 forms of selective subsidies and tax reliefs. Mm -hmm. Now, what that means is that the government is giving out to somebody, mm -hmm. not giving out to somebody else, mm. okay? Mm -hmm. And not taxing somebody, but mm. taxing other people. And 
I did an estimate, which has um, not been contested. It's accepted by the Treasury, actually, mm -hmm. that tax relief subsidies cost the Treasury over £400 billion per year. Wow. That's a, that's a large proportion of the overall tax receipt. I, I can't remember. It, I guess just to benchmark these numbers, is a trillion close yeah. to being approximately so it's a, it's the tax receipts third, in the UK? Yes, yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. We'll now, work with that. If that money was used to pay for a basic income, you've mm. already got a very high level of basic income. Mm. Right? Right. Now, wait, as it happens... Wait, would you? Is, is that not only... What? No, no, that would that would work out to be. You're oh, sorry, about, sorry, billion. Yeah, I missed I missed the billion. I, I was there. <laughs> no, I was like, wait a second. But, but but as it happens, I think that's only one part of the way. What I'm trying to establish at this point <clears throat> is that very quickly you can move to a situation where you're talking mainly <clears throat> about reallocating. Mm. Uh, so, uh, expenditure, yeah. rather than mobilizing a whole lot extra. That's the first point. Second point, the most famous economist of the 20th century, mm -hmm. John Maynard Keynes. Mm -hmm. That was my guess. <laughs> John Maynard Keynes said, anything we really want, we can afford. I, and, yeah, I, have, uh, I have a question around this. Go on, go on. Yeah, anyhow, and, and he's, he, he was essentially right. It's a matter of priorities. Mm -hmm. Okay, now, as it happens, the way I favor moving towards basics income, and this mm -hmm. gets back to your original question about how do I see it, mm -hmm. is that we build up what I call a commons capital fund, mm -hmm. Interesting. which is a form of sovereign wealth fund. Mm -hmm. Something like 80 countries now have sovereign wealth funds. In mm -hmm. other words, they put part of the income and revenue into a fund, it invests and it builds up. The capital fund becomes a very large part of the economy. Mm -hmm. China has four. Norway has the Famously. most appropriate one. And Norway used the royalties from North Sea oil mm -hmm. to put in its fund, and bid, build it up. So today I often joke with students, I said, if you want to get wealthy, find a Norwegian partner <laughs> because every Norwegian is, is technically a millionaire now because of this fund. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I'm proposing that people who are benefiting from taking from our commons, mm -hmm. they would have to pay levies for that benefit that would go into the fund, which would be invested. Right. And then as it builds up, pay out dividends. Right. Interesting. Now this this has a political advantage over other ways, mm -hmm. is that it creates a property right. Mm -hmm. Right. You have a share of a common property right. Mm -hmm. So the political right, political mm -hmm. ideological sense, they have difficulty dealing with political mm -hmm. property. Mm. Or property rights because mm. they love property rights. They 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 like to keep their property rights, which yeah. they've inherited, etc. And they find that difficult. Whereas if you see it as an act of charity, then you have problems. If mm -hmm. you see it as an economic right, then I think that you have less problems right. of being politically legitimized. Mm -hmm. For me, this is the best way of going about mobilizing mixture of mm. saying. We get rid of the subsidies that are given. Yeah. The state gives out vast amount of subsidies. 
I've just been reading the Financial mm. Times today. The government is planning to give out more subsidies to the North Sea oil companies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're crazy. It's serious. Sorry. That sounds I mean, ecologically bad. Like, I mean, sensible, I, doesn't I mean, it? <laughs> I mean this, is, this is nonsensical. Mm. Okay. Because these companies are making billions and have made billions, and they've been given huge subsidies. Mm -hmm. First, they were given subsidies to build the oil rigs. Then they're given subsidies to keep the oil rigs going. And now some of them are getting subsidies for dismantling the oil rigs. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Let them pay their costs. So we've got a question of judgments yeah. on these things. But there's another set of arguments. One of the fascinating things about pilots we've done, mm -hmm. a basic income largely pays for itself. And the reason is this. If I give a poor person money, mm -hmm. this is going to be very health, Keynesian. <laughs> their health improves. Mm -hmm. If their health improves, they make less use of scarce Public health services. services. Yeah. There was a pilot done in Canada. Mm. That's the most famous one, I think. Right? Yeah, yeah, Manitoba, yeah. which showed that when basic income was paid out, it reduced health problems, particularly mm -hmm. mental health problems. Mm -hmm. and led to an 8% decline in hospitalization, mm -hmm. saving a huge amount. Yeah. That's one thing. Second, we found that when you give a whole community a basic income, mm -hmm. start investing more, they start spending it on basic needs, they start improving the infrastructure, and there's a multiplier effect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, 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 okay? Yeah. A multiplier effect so that when we've done experiments two years afterwards, the average income of the persons in that community is higher than the value of the extra basic income. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's a multiplier effect. So it starts to have feedback effects, mm -hmm. improved health, more successful schooling, more entrepreneurial drive with more energy of people taking risks. Imagine so it, it starts to pay crime. for itself. I imagine it also reduces crime because part of what we were Absolutely. talking about earlier is like you can, yeah. can do more caring that could also help with children's development and you know reduce the chances that first of all they're in a situation where they need to but then secondly that they perhaps have had the kind of upbringing that would lead them to that sort of behavior. A couple of things I want to touch on. I want to say you are incredibly politically savvy. The way that you phrased it is in the parlance of existing frameworks, right? Where you're saying create this fund, you're saying allocating funds or justifying where you would be getting this money from. But then you also mentioned Keynes and you said anything we want to do, we can afford. I wanted to ask your view on modern monetary theory and whether that kind of plays into the way that you think about funding a UBI or whether that's something basically that you are, it sounds like from the Keynes quote that you are a proponent of. For those listening, Modern monetary theory basically thinks that government spending, the way that we model or think about government spending is a bit backwards. The, you know, the government can, in effect, afford whatever it wants because it prints the money. It's about then managing the money that's out in the economy in a responsible way afterwards to ensure that we avoid problems like excessive inflation. So the government can and does you know, print lots of money and put it into the economy in different ways. It's then just about taxing or restricting the use of that money or the flow of money such that inflation doesn't become crazy. Are you kind of a, a proponent of that view? No. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, I, I'm not a proponent of the most extreme versions mm -hmm. of modern monetary theory. I believe that governments must spend um, cautiously. Mm -hmm. What I would say is that in recent decades, mm -hmm. particularly since 1997, when the Bank of England was made independent, right. started with financial liberalization under Thatcher. Mm -hmm is that the finance 
the money system has been the tail that wags the economic dog. <laughs> Such that today, the value of financial assets is over 1,000% of our GDP. Mm -hmm. So that financial wealth has been enormously increased. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, the government, by abdicating monetary policy, I won't go into the complexities, mm -hmm. has allowed more and more any shock, like 2008 financial crisis, like mm -hmm. COVID, mm -hmm. they further pump money in mm -hmm. and it goes to the bankers. Mm -hmm. I call them something else sometimes, but we'll leave it at that. And it goes to politically correct, but it goes to finance mm -hmm. and they've strengthened their control. Right. And emerging from each crisis, inequalities have increased, financial mm -hmm. wealth has increased, and feel very smug mm -hmm. because they're too big to fail. And what mm -hmm. that means is that they know that if there is a crisis, Bank of England and the government will rush to their aid. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, the relevance of this is that where we're talking about a basic income, it's a matter of saying this has to be approached from what matters for all of us today. And that is we need an ecological future. Mm -hmm. We need a redistribution of economic resources and power and everything because plutocrats and the finances are running everything, and that must be wrong. And we need a response to uncertainty, mm -hmm. economic uncertainty. And for me, the way to do that mm -hmm. is to say, okay, this way of funding a basic income and the way of paying it out mm -hmm. has to be consistent with those three mm -hmm. objectives. Those mm -hmm. are what should judge what you're going to spend. Sorry, I hit the table then. No, 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 no problem. Uh, adds, adds emphasis. Yeah. Uh, adds for emphasis. Gravitas. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That's why I favor a capital fund, mm, right? because you would build the fund mm -hmm. by, for example, mm -hmm. including a carbon levy. Where I'm critical of what's being offered by the Labour Party, for example, with this 28 billion, borrow mm -hmm. it and you pay six, 5% or whatever the interest rate will end up being because interest rates are rising. Mm -hmm. And that puts, you know, it's got to be repaid from somehow, mm -hmm. and it creates uh, problems, uh, moral hazards, as well as other things. Whereas if a capital fund that is built up with common justice principles, mm -hmm. including a carbon levy, I don't want 
a policy which is actually encouraging increase in energy consumption. Mm-hmm. Right? If you offer subsidies for renewables, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to stop people spending on other forms of energy as well. Mm-hmm. Okay? So for me, a carbon levy is saying if you give out greenhouse gas emissions, you're going to pay extra. Mm-hmm. All right? Which acts as a disincentive for you to spend. Right? Mm-hmm. That's what you need. That's what you need. The trouble with, with a carbon levy is that it will mean a higher percentage payment from the poor mm-hmm. and therefore will be a politically opposed. Mm-hmm. Okay? The only way to turn it from being politically unpopular is to promise that all the revenue will be recycled in the form of a basic income payment. Then, as they found in Canada and in Sweden and in Switzerland, where, where I work, if that's part of the deal, then suddenly it becomes extremely popular. <laughs> now, we need a carbon levy. And the trouble is that the politicians are too frightened of doing it because of the political unpopularity. But that's because they're not squaring the circle. If you say, we're going to use that for recycling so every individual receives the mm-hmm. basic income, oh, that's a different matter. Yeah. Okay? It's the same with a land value mm-hmm. levy. I believe we should have a land value value. Land as a percentage of wealth, the value of land as a percentage of wealth has gone up and up and up, partly because part of it has been taken away. So mm-hmm. you're creating more shortage mm-hmm. and the price and the value of land has gone up. But it's nothing to do with the achievements of the landowners. It's because scarcity has been increased and housing problems, etc. So we need to have a levy system that reorients the income raising to discourage the things we want to discourage. Mm. Okay? And then use the money to pay for a basic income. Practically, do you think that that would have to be paired with income tax rises, increases in order to fund that? I, no. Yeah, I wanted to ask this too, just because this is something we touched on in the break. But with capitalism, you have this very effective distribution system, mostly in the middle, but you have poverty traps and you have sort of wealth at the top end that sort of seems to be sticky and generate on its own momentum. Yes. UBI is a and well, difficulty taxing wealth as exactly. well. Exactly. So basic income seems like a really effective way of addressing poverty traps. How do you pair this with a wealth tax? What's Or how would you address inequality at the top end of the distribution? What does well, that look like for you? I do not favor substantial increase in income tax. Mm-hmm. And the reason I don't is that in a globalized economic system, mm-hmm. uh, the plutocrats and the elite, mm. aided by this government in particular, mm-hmm can avoid taxation mm. like that. Yeah. And Britain is, as it happens, a chronic outlier in the international community. Mm-hmm. 20% of our national income is parked abroad mm. tax havens. Cayman mm. Islands, etc. Cayman Islands and so on. And as the Panama Papers, if you remember, showed, yeah. even a prime minister has been involved. <laughs> and oh, even, even royalty and major donors to the government party have been involved. Mm. And they get MPs who are lawyers and were, were attorney generals off sitting in the Cayman Islands when mm-hmm. he should be doing his duty in the House of Parliament, mm-hmm. advising the Cayman Islands how they can avoid British taxes. I mean, come on, let's Mm. get real. So for me, we've got to have a more effective taxation system. Mm -hmm. 
And that's why I believe in an eco-fiscal policy about this, mm -hmm. where you actually tax tangibles, mm -hmm. wealth, you tax bads, mm -hmm. okay? If you want to cause pollution, then I want to discourage you and I want you to pay a price. Mm -hmm. That's why I believe in a frequent flyer levy as yeah. part of this fund. Makes okay? sense. Makes sense because people don't realize that fuel used in aeroplanes, not only is it highly toxic, et cetera, but it doesn't pay fuel duty. Really? They, it's one of those tax reliefs because under an international agreement, they don't get taxed. Well, that's, let's stop that nonsense. <laughs> let's stop that nonsense because we want to stop. Now, yeah. it turns out that 1% of the population account for most of flying. Okay, people go off for their holidays and it's, that's fine. Mm. But in actual fact, frequent flying is done by a very small minority. They should be paying. Polluter pays. Mm -hmm. The polluter should pay. And for me, it has the virtue of actually acting as a, an incentive for the sort of thing that we want. Mm. Okay? Improved air quality. Boats. These giant monstrosities. The five-layer cruiser liners. Oh, when they go into <laughs> our ports like Southampton, they leave their engines going all the time they are in port, and they use the dirtiest bunker fuel, diesel. And as I show in my new book, this has resulted in 50,000 excess deaths in port communities around Europe each wow. year wow. due to throat cancer and other illnesses. Mm -hmm. Okay, first of all, I would ban them keeping their engines, but until you can get to the system where they can do that, you pay a heavy price. Mm. So specifically taxing bads is, is the approach you'd and favor. It's, it also kind of relates to what we we're talking about in the philosophy section, where it sounds like a lot of it is bads that are exactly. negatively impacting the commons. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yep. And the water of... companies should pay a very heavy levy, mm. given what they're doing to our rivers and beaches. Mm. Two practical ones. Um, which we should, Do you want to list the, the questions we'll try and get through quickly in the next 10 minutes? Okay. We only have a guy for another let's, 10 minutes. Let's do that. So the practical ones were, who would be eligible? And secondly, would it literally be just bank transfers every month? Yeah, like give, give people a vision of, of, of that. <laughs> that, that. Those are the practical ones. And then we have basically a series of challenges to sort of get yeah. through as quickly I mean, as possible. I'm, and I'm sure you're familiar with all of them. But one of them, it's not even a sentence that just says inflation question mark. <laughs> <laughs> We've uh, also got things like what would happen if it wasn't adopted cross-country? What would happen to migration? Yeah. How would we deal with fraud? Minimum wage. Do, do we I can, need I can, it? Let's, yeah. let's take them. We'll, we'll, we'll break them down. Sorry, I, I've got yeah. them all in front of oh, me. Perfect. So, so it's, it's okay. So let's try be try keep it to about a minute or two per thing. Yeah, so, sorry, quite... just limitation of time. So with the first two, um, who would qualify and how practically would it pay? As I said earlier, who would qualify would be every usual legal resident. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Okay. If you're a usual resident in London and you've been living here for more than two years, you would qualify. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you were a legal migrant into mm -hmm. the country, you would have to be in the country for two or more years, that would be up to parliament, but you would not become entitled to it until mm -hmm. you've been a legal resident for some time. It doesn't mean you wouldn't give help to migrants. You should give help to migrants, mm -hmm. but it should be done outside the basic income Makes uh, system. And would it be paid directly to people's bank accounts? How would that look? It would be paid on cards. Mm -hmm. I mean, electronic, we've done it in India where we provided thousands of people in nine communities. Mm -hmm. And we just did it automatic transfers. Done it in Kenya, the same. 
electronic cards these days are fine and it reduces the probability of fraud. It mm. reduces administrative costs. Mm -hmm. It's something that is not really a big challenge. That's why some of the electronic mm. big shots uh, say, well, that part of it is the yep. easy part. Okay. The inflation question, should we jump mm. to? Because I think that's probably the, the That's the one we're both very curious about. Curious about. Okay. As you know, I'm an economist. Mm -hmm. As an economist, I believe in two blades to a pair of scissors. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you give a basic income into a community, the first thing is you really increase demand. Mm -hmm. Increase demand. Mm -hmm. But you also tend to increase supply because people who know that more money is coming into the community start investing in providing goods and services because mm. they know there's going to be a demand out there. Mm. I was asked a couple of weeks ago, I was in Oxford mm -hmm. and half the shops in the main area are shut because there's no demand. Mm. Okay, If there was demand, the supply of goods increases, mm -hmm. there's a higher rate of return to the investment, so you mm -hmm. get more investment. We did this a huge pilot in India, mm -hmm. and at the end of the two years, we compared prices before mm -hmm. the start of the basic income and prices afterwards. Prices had gone down. Wow. And the reason was the supply had been increased right? because people they invested, they, they invested. And the great thing about it, particularly in a country like in Britain, where mm. you've, you've got a balance of payments problem right. with imports coming in and is that a basic income encourages a switching of spending to local goods and services. Mm -hmm. Okay, you start spending on local stores, you start spending on local things. Whereas if you let income inequality to grow, the money is spent on rich imports, expensive mm -hmm. uh, yep. cars, etc. from abroad. Mm -hmm. Whereas a basic income increases the demand at the bottom. Is mm. it just by the fact that generally less well-off people are more likely to buy local? Higher yeah. marginal propensity. They have a higher propensity to spend right. on local goods and services. Sure. Okay, yes. and that that for me is a very important aspect because there's a multiplier yeah. effect at local level. But what about specifically the housing market, which for most people is probably the largest individual cost that they have, and I, I mean for many people, it can be up to 50% of their income, where the supply side of the market doesn't have this benefit I or think, ability to I think adapt. the housing crisis in this country mm. is one of the many own goals mm. of recent governments <laughs> yeah. in the sense that one of our biggest problems is we have a huge number of unoccupied homes, yeah. something like 700,000. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. We need to start getting that released, and I would put an empty property levy as a contributor to the fund because <laughs> yeah. it's a deduction from the commons. Right. But I don't think you can solve any problem with a single tool. Mm -hmm. okay. You can't win a game of golf uh, with one club, right, <laughs> and all that stuff. So you're not suggesting so, it's a panacea? It's not a panacea. Of course mm. not. It's something that tilts the nature of society mm -hmm in better directions, as I've been trying to, mm. uh, to say, mm. increases care work, increases things like that. So for me, it's, it's not a panacea, but it, it has these virtuous qualities. Does the evidence from the trials suggest that supply definitely would increase? Because one thing I was thinking was the things that would tip inflation, higher demand and potentially reduce supply, both are things that can affect inflation. And if, if traditional counter argument, oh, it would just make people lazy, they wouldn't work, were to hold any water, 
you'd see rampant inflation because you'd have people with more money to spend and less people producing goods. But it sounds to me like the evidence is that actually you balance out the demand with increased supply. And does the trial evidence sort of bear that out? Well, you're, you're talking to someone who's, who's had the privilege mm -hmm. to be able to put into practice well, on an experimental basis, mm -hmm. something in which he's believed. It doesn't happen to many of us. And, mm -hmm. and for a lot of the time, we, we don't get that opportunity. Mm -hmm. I've been involved in pilots in England, I'm in Wales at the moment, in Finland, in, in Kenya, in Namibia, in India, in Canada, in, in California. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of others going on. And one thing I can tell you is that in all of those pilots, it's resulted in an increase in work, mm, not a decrease, not a decrease. Now, many of the beautiful advantages have involved care. Mm -hmm. Okay. And one of the big areas of inflation is the cost of care. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine's having a baby. Exactly. Soon, and he told me, I didn't realize it's 2,000 pounds childcare around London. It can be as much as that a month, right? And, and, and I mean, I I'm paying 4,000 pounds. Wow. For caring for very elderly relatives. And it's a disgrace. Mm. We, so here we want to encourage people mm -hmm. who want to do that. To be able to spend more time caring for those they love. Got you. Okay. But give them the chance that they can say, I can pay for somebody to look after my mm. whatever. Okay. Mm. But to give them that option. I've gone through life wishing I'd spent more time caring for those I love. I, mm -hmm. uh, And I think that is a normal human sentiment. Mm -hmm. So again, it would improve one side of the relationship. So actually lower the, the pressure to pushing up mm. right inflation last one and maybe we can kind of bundle a couple but a lot of the argument for minimum wage is guaranteeing that people who are working can earn enough to have a dignified life and so you could see some argument where people are like, oh there's a universal basic income that's providing that guarantee that people will have you know access to a dignified life it, would that still want to be maintained a minimum wage i think a minimum wage is much less powerful than people think mm -hmm. i've always been broadly in favor of it because it acts as a flag mm. of a standard mm. behavior. But in the modern labor process, mm -hmm. I've written a book called The Precariat, mm -hmm. the nature of labor relationships makes it very difficult to apply it in practice. Mm. It's very appropriate for a manufacturing yeah. factory where people clock in at eight in the morning and clock out at whatever time. Mm -hmm. Okay, You can measure Mm. But more and more people are doing bits and pieces types of activity. Yeah. How do you actually measure the hour? Mm. And applying it is very difficult. That's why so few people have been uh, prosecuted mm. for breaking. In a 10-year period, only seven employers mm. were successfully prosecuted. Are you <laughs> telling me that only seven, uh, et cetera? So I, I'm not against a minimum wage. Mm. I just think it's a fool's errand to think that that is going to solve your insecurities at the bottom end of the labor market. Would, would a basic income remove the need for it? It wouldn't remove the need because it's a, it's a standard. Right. You're saying it's not decent to be paying less than this mm -hmm. amount. Mm -hmm. Okay. And therefore, it's fine. People say if you gave a person a basic income, it'll lower wages. I think that's rubbish because mm -hmm. it actually strengthens people's bargaining position mm -hmm. if they know that they're going to have enough money for their food tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. They don't have to be so frightened of the boss 
Yeah. <laughs> so they say, hey, 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 treat me decently, yeah? Yeah. Oh, 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 otherwise I'm going to, et cetera. So I, I, I think people have got to start thinking of the behavioral dynamics. Mm-hmm. I think we're, we're basically out of time. So if I, if I could just ask you one closing question, when do you predict we'll see mass rollout of a policy like basic income in the UK to start? I think in the UK, we will find that the next round of government changes they will try and prop up universal credit. Mm-hmm. It will be shown increasingly how odious and unfair and failing to respect any common law principles this is. Mm-hmm. And we could have within five years a basic income in this country. I believe by then other countries that are experimenting at the moment will have done so. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty confident that we're going to demand it. And <laughs> only when we demand it will we get it. Love Thank it. you very much. Guy, uh, thanks so much for your standing. time. Well, that was fantastic, wasn't it, Jake? That was a lot of fun. Yeah, really, really enjoyed meeting Guy. For you listeners, he's he, just he was, a, he was a great guy. He was. He was a great guy. An upstanding guy. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he did not like my guy's sitting joke. Understandably. Um, Jake, that coming. let's review both parts, just because for us, this is obviously one continuous session. First of all, the philosophy part. To be fair, much of what I expected, I didn't say it at the time, but felt very Rawlsian. Did um, a little this bit, kind of, he? he specifically mentioned justice and freedom. His conception of justice sounded a lot like it was about sharing wealth, justice as fairness sort of conception. Any kind of thought or statement beyond that? One thing I liked about it was he sort of, he talked about security and he actually taken it a step further back than that. He sort of said, you've got two grounds of justification. You've got ethical and instrumental and generally people focus on the instrumental, which I guess Mm. is what we got into in the second part when we were looking at the how and we talked about inequality and that was really interesting. I liked the idea that he's kind of elevating the argument a level above that and he was talking about those concepts, Mm. justice, security and freedom Mm. and kind of really going into his, well, the history behind like the commons and things like that and Mm. his views on why they're important. For me, the thing I enjoyed the most was when he was talking about sort of different paradigms of work because I guess it aligns aligns with, yeah, it aligns with episodes we've talked about before in the cultural shifts we've seen yeah. that things like ai and technology could portend and it's, it's things like how many people if they felt like because this is another way of creating a world where people don't need to feel like the only access to a dignified quote unquote, mm. or wealthy in some words i suppose life is via you know high paying but lo- not particularly interesting or a high societal value work mm. I, I hadn't actually considered that ubi you know aside from just saying to people shaking them like what are you doing do something interesting with your life <laughs> because life matters and you should have an examined life i hadn't considered how the ubi could play into that mm. right like how many people you know given guarantee of an extra thousand two thousand a month would be like mm, do i want to be a consultant <laughs> mm. could just make better decisions one thing i didn't get to ask him but kind of wanted to was when you have trials obviously there's maybe maybe a tiny bit of a Hawthorne effect in play. The Hawthorne effect being that the subjects of experiments, when they know they're being observed, mm-hmm. possibly alter their behavior because they're being observed. And mm-hmm. that's not exactly what I'm, I mean. I'm talking about the fact that when you're in a limited trial, you maybe feel a little bit special. And mm-hmm. so you're like, oh, how should I use this? If this applied to everyone and building on your question, I wonder if people would still have those same aspirations or would someone become a consultant and be like, I still want to become super rich? Or would you say, actually, I've got enough and does it change those incentives or do things like greed still play into people's decisions? I think they're fundamental human desires, right? Mm -hmm. The desire for meaning, happiness, doing things that you actually find interesting. So I'm not too worried about that. that They're like, whether the trials wouldn't translate into Mm. wider scale things. What about greed? What about the greed? Do you think people would make more informed choices with a safety net? Do you think part of what drives greed is insecurity? 
Oh, interesting. You're talking greed as in like, in theory, as in desire, or you're talking greed in practice as in buying too much stuff? In theory, I'm talking about that sense of, you know, well, part of, I suppose, what motivates people to take super high powered jobs is just this kind of, maybe it's a cultural Need thing. Greed. It's around, yeah, it's around the sort of fact that status is equivalent to, mm. to sort of wealth and money. I think what we both liked about what Guy was saying was there is a bit of a cultural shift involved in administering this because it's sort of saying all humans have the right to meet their basic security needs. And the typical counter argument against this is that sort of right wing notion of no, people have to earn their way in this life. Mm. But guys approaching it from a very different perspective. And mm. I guess one of the presumptions from what he was saying was that like we all are owed a certain thing just by virtue of being people. I mean, it was, it, I hadn't actually stated, stated it on the episode, but a premise seems to be that we all have equal right to all of these commons. Mm-hmm. Like he did say that explicitly just by virtue of existing. As for your point on greed, I suppose to some extent greed will still exist. There's still going to be people who are like, now I'm wealthier, but or alternatively, everyone has this. So, you know, I need more to really uh, um, stand out from this. <laughs> it is interesting. I, and I suppose part of that is tempered by how you apply these taxes. And he was, he was talking about taxing bads at the wealthy end. I like that idea. That's now leaning into the sort of how part of the episode. But mm. I really like the idea that basic income kind of avoids poverty traps. Mm. And economically, that seems pretty sound. Yep. But then you, you need a yep. sort of array of taxes yeah, on yeah. the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, I think quickly back to the why, sorry. Um, yeah, sure. One thing I neglected that was very interesting was, like I said, it's very rare that you find someone whose life's work is focused on an individual policy. And that policy actually can quite comfortably fit into quite a range of ideologies. Because mm. like you said, like say you're an anarchist. I mean, it's not exactly dismantling the state, but like, <laughs> you know, you could be like, hey, give a UBI. And that justifies dismantling a lot of the state. Mm. Say you're an authoritarian and a socialist. You know, you, pretty obviously you can see how UBI would, would fit into something like that. Say mm. you're a Marxist, you could see that. It's interesting. I don't know many people who have taken that approach where like rather than being a, a, I don't know, prominent part of some ideology or school, they really are just focused on this one individual policy and they don't mind what your lean into it is. I really like that part too. It was something we were discussing in the break when you went downstairs because I asked him that again. And he said it kind of was a deliberate decision for that reason, because I think as soon as you become too ideological about it, you do end up sort of putting people off. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, UBI has its detractors anyway, but I think Mm -hmm. there is something quite novel, isn't there, about taking that approach. Mm -hmm. It is very interesting. Yeah. What did you make of his opinion on basic services rather than basic income? Because I know know when we approached this episode, I mean, I've I've always been very interested in basic income as a concept. Mm -hmm. You've heard me talk about this on the podcast before. And I know when we have mentioned it in the past, you've always said, what about basic services? Mm. Things like housing in particular, if you meet those needs. Do, do you feel differently about that now? Where, how have fair, your views I, I, changed? I, he mentioned a couple of things and I was like, okay, actually, when I think about that, he mentioned the paternalism, right? Mm. And so I thought previously, like, oh, basic, you know, provide people housing and food, right? I, I did actually kind of realize or think when I thought about it. I mean, the basic question in my head was, how do you decide what the menu? <laughs> like what's what stopped, right? I suppose in that sense. Yeah, yeah. It, it also actually, when I think practically, like one looks a lot more like an organized communist state, so much less likely for us to actually do it. Mm. And the other actually utilizes the existing infrastructure of the free market. Mm-hmm. My main concern with UBI was inflation. But to be fair, I guess maybe it's like you said, it's not a panacea. I kind of realized, I thought like, oh, UBI, but wouldn't that ruin the housing market or whatever? And, and what he said, he didn't say this, but it kind of made me think it. What he said was kind of to the effect of the housing market is already kind of broken <laughs> uh, like yeah we, we need to do that anyway right mm. it's interesting just a reminder like look this is a policy not the policy and i think maybe it gets even in my mind it gets this bad rap because people are thinking about it as like the thing that'll fix everything and yeah another thing that we didn't get to talk about which i guess relates is the welfare state because something that's a common criticism but also a common justification is that basic income would massively simplify the welfare state and i guess critics say it would do away with it and proponents say no it would actually just simplify it and guy mentioned that too a lot of subsidies and a lot of policies 
policies that we have could really be simplified and boiled down into a basic income situation. I mean, I think I kind of agree with that, but I think something he touched upon and I don't think we talked about much was it wouldn't remove elements of, of welfare. I know he talks in his book about, you know, you wouldn't remove disability benefits just because there's a basic income. You'd still want to provide extra care for people in those situations. The same with migrants. He said, you know, they wouldn't necessarily qualify straight away, but you'd still want to provide some element of support to those people. It wouldn't be an excuse not to do those things. And I guess that ties in with his view on justice. So that seems coherent to me. Did you have any opinions on that? Would you agree with that? I do agree with that. I don't have significantly more to say. Yeah. Like, it was a question that we didn't get to ask, but kind of figured from what we were saying along the way that like, I was mm. going to ask, oh, does UBI mean you don't need to have these other things? And I, I figured that, that the answer was I think that. you sort of simplify it, but there are, there are elements that remain. I also sure. really love the idea of basically building sovereign wealth fund. That was cool, wasn't yeah, it? It's yeah, it's cool. I don't know why we don't do that. <laughs> yeah, no, I liked that too. It's funny how I totally misread him on modern monetary theory, but maybe I just don't know enough about it. Maybe there's some people who are, have some weird conclusions they draw from it. Mm. I just think of it as like the system, how we think about money is a little bit backwards. Like mm -hmm. when he said that quote from Keynes, it sounded very yeah, in, his, in that direction. His, his answer, if I understood him correctly, was he was saying it's more a question of political will than yeah. anything else, right? It's the notion that you can gather enough money for anything and, and maybe there's an opportunity cost. But it, it was, do you think his point there was more political than sort of economic, economic. in that respect? Yeah, I, I think that's what he, how he meant it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. Okay, guys, we need to wrap up because we are leaving this uh, podcast studio. Let us know your thoughts. We'll try and get more eminent thinkers to come and join us occasionally. I mean, generally we'll use the one format, but it was so enjoyable talking with Guy. Maybe we'll do more of it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I particularly enjoyed his voices. <laughs> <laughs> his impressions were fantastic. What an articulate man. What a lot of fun that was to interview him. So like I said, we'll consider more interviews of this format where we've got suitable guests who we feel can add a lot to the conversation beyond what we're able to come up with between us. Until then, as as always, a request to please leave reviews of the show, particularly on this episode. If you liked it, do share it and it will help us to grow and reach more people and therefore keep providing uh, what we hope is enjoyable content for you guys. And if you're not a member already, please join the WhatsApp group and we'll strive to give more shout outs to the opinions that you air on there as well and, and answer any of those questions. Thank you guys. Take care. Bye.